Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Name Crypto Podcast. Joining me, as always, is Ben Sharp. Hi, Ben. Hey, Akash. Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, doing good. Doing good. Over the holiday break, I went over to Bahamas. I was kind of like, hey, let me go see where FTX is, where Sam Bankman I was going to say, are you trying to hunt him down or what were you doing? I, I wasn't trying to hunt him down. I had booked the, the, the trip way before like all of this blew up. But I was like, hey, I'm going to be there, so I might as well check it out. But just before I got there, he got extradited and then he got bailed. And I learned that he spent uh, Christmas with his family in Palo Alto. So, Lucky for him, huh? Yeah. So anyway, so the, that was very interesting to me how things work. But yeah, how, how was the break for you? And uh, what, what do you have to talk about today? It was, uh, it was good. It was relaxing, but uh, glad to be back in it. Uh, yeah, there's been a lot of... Uh, a lot happened, you know. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on the FTX saga today, but you know, clearly, I, you know, I was I was thinking about a couple things, you know, just general high level about the state of the sort of crypto industry and all of that. And 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 one of them, one thought that I had was I had put some money in each in, in three different let's call them earn programs. So I had money in BlockFi, I had money in Celsius, and I had money in uh, in Gemini, and mm-hmm. All three of them have effectively gone bankrupt. Last week, this company Genesis, which is not Gemini, but it was the party that borrowed the money from the Gemini Earn users, such as myself, it went bankrupt uh, this last week. So all three of those dominoes have, have been taken out. And it was interesting because I put money in all three thinking that I was being smart diversifying. Now, fortunately... I pulled them all out. I pulled the money all out in May, and and I was able to walk away unscathed. That that is not the case for I think hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. So, but it it, it sort of was a you know kind of a reminder as of last week that all three of these services that I'd been using uh, were all defunct. So you know that was that was kind of a I don't know a closure closing yeah. closing chapter for me uh, in that whole saga, and I learned a lot. Question for 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 this. So we should jump into the learnings on that. But like, was this true DeFi or was it more no. centralized finance? And no, that's what the shortcoming here was. Yeah, centralized finance. Yeah, that was, and that in my in my view, that was one of the big learnings was that anytime you've got centralized finance, particularly in the crypto space, there's just there's no rules clearly and no transparency and no no morality. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's just these people were just cheats. No, yeah. I think I think the big learning was that ha- you know, had I put the money in DeFi, may- maybe I still would have lost it for different reasons, different risks. But it wouldn't have been because you know Sam Bankman Fried was you know taking the money out to do whatever the heck he wanted with. Right. So, w- what are some of the the DeFi protocols where you would have still lost money because of the fluctuations, but not gone bankrupt because of fraud? Well, you know, listen, I don't I don't know specific protocols, you know, I put money into GMX, for example, you know, that's one that I'm actively using right now. There, DeFi carries a whole host of other risks, right? I mean, people will say, oh, code is law, blah, blah, blah. Well, code can also have bugs. Code can also be hacked. Right. You know, there's different risks, but I think that for the most part, the transparency component is is there in DeFi. And if you're smart and you have the time and the resources, you can figure out where your risks sit, which 
with BlockFi or Celsius or these others, I mean, it's nearly impossible. It was a black hole. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I never ended up like putting any money in any of these places. So you can say I dodged the bullet, but then I also missed out on any gains that people would have had. Yeah, but I mean, again, it's kind of like picking up pennies in front of a steamroller. You know, the gains that people got, the 7%, 8%, when you lose all of your principal, it kind of doesn't matter anymore. So, that's and that's what happened to a lot of people. And yeah, so I, I think one of the things that I've read on Twitter that, I, that I'd share with you, Akash, is that, uh, you know, if you don't know where the yield is coming from, you are the yield. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's a variation <laughs> off like, of, if you're not uh, paying for the product, you're the product, like the whole Facebook thing. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Cool, cool, so cool. that was, you know, that was, that was sort of an interesting realization that I had. And then, and then the other, you know, crypto is dead, man. <laughs> what? You know, I mean, honestly, like all of my friends, you know, we, we've got that group of crypto folks that we're meeting for months. All, mm-hmm. all of that has gone away. No one asks me about it anymore. My mom's like blockchain going to go to, or Bitcoin going to go to zero, you know, I, I mean, bit, it, crypto's dead, man. So the hype cycle is just totally, totally bust. And, you know, we we were sitting around fifteen dollars to $17,000 Bitcoin. I would say at the bottom of the, the FUD and the sort of, I mean, all this bad stuff happening. That's, that's still a pretty good level. And then as of today, we're like twenty two, twenty three thousand, right? Bitcoin's up 25% on the year. So I, you know, I, I remain steadfast in my interest in the technology. I, you know, we're, we're still talking about crypto mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> when when n- none of my friends are. So I think that's just confirmation to me that maybe we're getting close to sort of a, a bottoming in the cycle. And certainly a lot of the grift and hype and kind of BS appears to be uh, leaving the ecosystem, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. So one of the interesting things is crypto has gone through multiple cycles like this, right? And every time it comes back with another bull run where there are more people using it, there are more different use cases that come up. So right. there's almost like a cyclical nature to this. And people have probably been through previous cycles know that this is kind of natural and par for the course. But I think yeah. just the proliferation of crypto in this cycle and how many people it impacted is what we need to see. Did it scare away a lot of them? Would they give it a second shot versus people who are really enthusiastic about it and were willing to give it a second shot? It's something which you still have to figure out, right? People you know, who lost it, a lot of money may be afraid. And I think, Akash, I've been thinking a lot about that. And I, I think that ultimately crypto will be utilized by people who don't know they're using crypto, right? So yeah. I think that that is really uh, will be the sort of defining, one of the defining characteristics of when crypto has really gone mainstream is that people will be using apps like Venmo to send money to one another, and they won't really know that they're riding on crypto, crypto rails, right? Uh, you know, I think, and I think that's going to be really important. I'll give you an example. One of the things I wanted to talk about today was, you know, Mastercard is using the blockchain to to decrease transaction related expenses. Well, if they're successful in pulling that off, people will be paying with their Mastercard, and they won't know that their transaction is running on the blockchain rails, right? Now, why is Mastercard going to do that? Well, it's to it's to decrease their expenses, improve their their system performance. So. Yeah, I think that's one example of how you know crypto will proliferate and mainstream users will use it um, well in advance of people you know going to a market and seeing their apples price on Bitcoin. Yeah, which I'm not you know that that may happen someday too. But I think uh, I think the next big wave will be people being onboarded who aren't uh, who aren't really you know don't really know they're using crypto. Yeah, I, I agree. Like it has to integrate with the existing systems that we have. Maybe just work behind the scenes. 
empower a lot of this without people having to understand the complexities of this. To me, what was always the challenge that we had to overcome was like, not your keys, not your wallet, right? Not your money, not your coin, whatever. Yes. It's really hard to get people to keep private keys secure, right? So we do have a bunch of or, or not identities. Or... Exactly, right? Like, so, so that was always going to be a challenge. So yeah, no, this is going to be good. And another thing I, I look at is there has to be good utility for it. I don't think just getting yields on crypto is a good enough utility because then that leads to a lot of speculative behavior over there versus some true utility of the, of the crypto. And once right. that thing can settle down a little bit, I think it's really, really powerful. I think you and I both were like on the helium yeah. node and stuff, right? So we, yeah. so we had a helium node running. And at least my realization over there was the more utility there is, the better it is. And investing in utility tokens isn't really very good personally, right? Because it's just a utility token. It's not really yeah, I a think good you've investment gotta, vehicle. Well, yeah. And I, I think the question then becomes, you know, if it is a utility token, how does it, how does it accrue value over time, right? Is yeah. that value, you know, you get, you get governance, you know, you get a right to vote. Well, that's not monetary value. That's some other form of value. Right. You know, in the case of Helium, are they going to share a percentage of the transaction fees on the network, either directly through sort of real yield to holders mm -hmm. or indirectly by burning tokens, you know, which is kind of like a, a buyback, which then would increase the price of those tokens. I think you really need to peel back the, the layer of the onion on a lot of these utility tokens, two, three, four layers to really understand what's going on in the hood. Right. Yeah. I mean, an analogy that I was just thinking about is... If I get a certain number of minutes, calling minutes on my cell phone plan, right? Would I just go buy a bunch of minutes and just hold on to it, saying that the cost of this is going to go up over time? I don't know. Like maybe there are unlimited plans or different ways of showing up for that. So, right. yeah, it's it's a little fuzzy right now. I think there's a little bit more work that needs to happen for some clarity to come out of this. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. I uh, you know I, I think that the other the other key component to this is that you know Bitcoin is. I believe a one of the best store of values that exists, and I think that that narrative will continue to outperform, you know, in the next cycle. Right now, it's easy to hate on it, right, because it's down seventy percent from highs. There's a lot of hype, which clearly there was, right? I mean, clearly it was a it was riding a hype train liquidity bubble in retrospect. However, you know where we stand today, I, I feel pretty comfortable and confident in putting money into Bitcoin. Again, not investment advice, but uh, I think that's that's another key narrative that will emerge. Absolutely, absolutely. And going back to the thing, like my my two things have always been uh, Bitcoin and uh, Ethereum. Uh, Bitcoin is clearly value store, and Ethereum to me has been programmable money. Like that's how I look at it right. uh, with the smart contracts and stuff. So we'll see. Only time's gonna tell what's going and going to happen. But another thing which happened since we last talked about. And I like to call it the world before November 30th and the world after November 30th is uh, ChatGPT. The next hype cycle. <laughs> the next hype cycle. Absolutely. Maybe we should start a podcast about that too, Ben. Well, may, or, or maybe we just, yeah, uh, diverge Repurpose this just, one. And just follow the hype. No. Yes, ChatGPT and OpenAI. Wow. Yeah, it's been absolutely nuts. I've been using it since day two. The first day I was like, huh, what's this thing? And the next day I was like, oh my God, this is nuts. So yeah, no, it's been fantastic. I've asked it so many different questions. I've asked it to plan trips, meal plans, workout routines. Like I've asked it to interview myself. 
Really? How did uh, that go? Yeah. Did you get the job? Yeah, I got a job. I interviewed myself for like an article. Like I've asked okay. it oh, to okay. clarify my thoughts. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to decide on this particular thing. Help me do that. And it actually asks you questions and you can go answer it and it'll help you come up with a decision. And, uh, you can ask it for pros and cons of either thing. And like, it's pretty damn smart. I wanted to teach my daughter some value of perseverance. So I asked her to write a book about that. Then I used uh, Stable Diffusion to go generate artwork for it. So now I have a kid's book generated using that, which I just published on LinkedIn just because why not? Like I just give it out to people, which is pretty good, right? And you can actually guide wow. it really well. And I wanted my daughter to relate. So I asked it for some like Indian names and I was like, hey, use the Indian names in the story or whatever. Like it was pretty powerful. Now the question is, if you know what you wanted to do, you can get a lot done. It right. is phenomenal. And then along came uh, Lensa. You tried Lensa too, right? Didn't you have those did, yeah. AI portraits generated? Which I find super fascinating because it is just using stable diffusion, which I run on my Mac for free because I downloaded Diffusion B and I can generate anything that I want, but it runs that in the cloud. So you give it a bunch of your photos and it generates variants of that photo uh, using stable diffusion. And you're really paying for the convenience of them being able to do that and the convenience of you being able to download it. I thought it was super fascinating. Yeah, they and they hit that out of the park because that thing went viral. You know, oh, yeah. I, I know I paid... I don't know, $20, $30 to generate those. Oh, absolutely. Big time, right? And it was just like putting together these free things, running in the cloud, making it easy to use, which is great. But there are a lot of ethical questions which came up about this. Like, how can you go ahead and compensate the creators of this art and so on, right? In the back of my head, I was going like, if there was a way to attribute on the blockchain the provenance of the art then you can go have incentive structures which are put in as this AI mm. is generating it, if it could put weights as to like how much of this should go there. Because like in this highly automated world where AI is working with AI and lots of things are happening, how do you extract value? Whose data, whose value are you using to get this stuff right. done? Right. It could be very interesting. It could also mm. act as hurdles for bad actors because they have to spend money, which is crypto. And then it could also incentivize good behavior and pay people for their work, which is being used by AI now. That's a really interesting take because, yeah, a lot of the reading that I've been doing is, is around the data sets that are used to train these various AI models. And really, that's where a lot of the value is, right, is having unique data sets that you can train these models on. Right. And it appears that GPT and many others, Dolly stable diffusion, you know, they've all trained their, they've been trained using just open data sets from the internet, right? With no attribution. And I mean, there's, to my knowledge, no transparency about what was used to train or what wasn't, right? So, yeah. uh, but pretty clearly uh, they've, they've used the entire sort of universe of the internet to train these things because you can have it create Picassos or, you know, Pollocks or whatever, you know, a near infinite amount of variations on the, on the prompts. So, yeah, that's really interesting, actually, using using blockchain to uh, to track that and then to be able to compensate to whatever degree that makes sense. That's that's a pretty interesting idea, dude. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, it's, it's really incentive structures, right? Like all of the stuff with governance and things and like doing that is how can you digitize value and make it interoperable? Like it's completely permissionless if someone starts using it and suddenly you start getting like royalties for your work. 
hey man that's awesome you don't need to go sign up for whatever like it's just happening yeah so whoever can go make that easy i think it'll make a lot of people happy that's cool that's a great idea so what have you what have you found to be the the best use of uh, of, of of gpt where has it brought oh the God. most value have you have you done any coding with it have you had it i have you, used it coding? to code well i don't code as much on my own nowadays mm-hmm. but i did ask it to generate like go to interact with chat gpt on its own then i was like hey how do you keep context across different sessions and he's like well this is the parameter that i use for this thing so just add this parameter and like it goes and does that because what you're doing is in the chat gpt thing it keeps context so it generates a unique context id on the first interaction and then it keeps passing it back to the server so the server has the context and it continues the conversation so you and i could build apps for example where we can have we can interact with a chat gpt model and do whatever we want by just passing the right context along, which I thought was really, really interesting. So I've, I've learned a lot about it. Uh, I've played around a lot with just different prompts. In fact, I go to it a Very lot cool. more than Google. And every time ChatGPT is down nowadays, I'm like, oh, I have to go use Google. Oh, now. I know. It's down all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it is know, yeah, a lot. You're, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been doing some experimenting using like uh, I'm headed to Park City in a couple of weeks to go skiing, and I, my friend mm-hmm. and I were looking for restaurants, and so I just, I just entered, hey, give me, give me the top five restaurants in Park City, and dude, it was a great yeah. list. Now you know yeah. it's uh, so I, I think you get better answers than Googling, right? I mean, with GPT, you get an answer. Where Google, you get yeah. results, and you have to filter through yourself. Right. I think what GPT is missing, and and really probably Microsoft will do this with Bing or something else, but. There's, they need links, right? Like I need links to the, to the, to the websites of the restaurants, the order now buttons. I mean, that whole sort of user experience sitting on top of it is obviously missing. I mean, we could go build that right now if we wanted to, right? Yeah. So it will get built and it's probably being worked on right now as we speak. But I think think using GPT for search is, is really fabulous. So one of the first use cases I used it for was to, we're planning a trip to like New York and Washington, D.C. And okay. I was like, hey, build out a, a plan for like whatever, X number of days with children aged roughly this much. And mm-hmm. it gives you a good recommendation of mm-hmm. what you should be doing over there, uh, which I found to be really useful. I, I hate planning trips. So I'm like, okay, trip planner. And the funniest thing that I wow. use it for. It was amazing. Yeah, I'm like, oh, here's what I want to do, and this so is what zero I need to, to go ten. Do. How 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 good was the result? Ten being, you could have just you know taken the itinerary and just run with it with no modifications. So I would say it's like a nine. Uh, it's actually wow. very good. Yeah, no, it's very wow. good, and you can get it to explain things at different levels or whatever. What it doesn't do is it doesn't really know if the R's were like something having affected or changed because it doesn't really sure. have real time information. Sure, but I think it's good. But then again, I wasn't super picky. I just wanted a plan. So for me, maybe it's a nine for someone who's a little bit more picky. It might be lower. Interesting. But you can so, give it your criteria. You can say, well, my kids are interested in like Legos and whatever. Like what would be a good activity for three days? And just, just that preference. If it can start keeping that context about who you are and what your family preferences are, then it could tailor those responses to you, which I think would be extremely useful. You know, it'd be cool. a cool app is... But put a front end on that service, right? So that mm-hmm. you could create profiles of your family. You could, you know, add tags yeah. of interest, et cetera, et cetera, right? Have it build the itinerary. So it's like a, you know, AI travel agent, basically. Mm-hmm. And then it'd be really sweet, right? If, you know, you, you click a button and say, okay, we're doing it. And then Book it. it would, 
well, I don't book it potentially would be really cool, but mm -hmm. even just sending you like automated messages, like, Hey, how did you enjoy this recommendation? And you could give it a thumbs right. up or down to train the model on, on what you enjoyed and what you didn't enjoy. Right. Cause that's yeah. what a travel agent would do, yeah. except there's no scale to do that. Right. So. Absolutely. I, I think that can, that's totally a cool happen. idea. For example, I had hired a virtual assistant a while back. Uh, I was okay. planning a trip to Australia. Then I was like, hey, can you go ahead and like help me build this itinerary? And it was really hard to go do that with them because they didn't really have all of the context of what I like. And the feedback loop was very slow. With this thing, I'm like, hey, I'd like to go do this thing. And here are a couple of things that I absolutely want to do, build a trip around this thing. And boom, like it comes out with things. The funniest wow. thing I used it for was I got it to write a poem for my wife. Ooh, I'm not romance. Yeah, I'm, oh, absolutely. I'm not a very romantic kind of a person, and like I kind mm. of suck at uh, uh, writing poems. So I was like, "Hey, write a poem about my wife," and I gave her a name, and then it did it did a good job. And I took that poem and I sent it over to my wife, and she was pretty impressed. And then two days later, she comes back to me. She's like, "Did Chat GPT write this thing?" Because I won't shut up about ChatGPT for so many days, right? Like she, she bought it. She bought knows, it there's for no a way you would have wrote that. You've never done she's this like, before. No way. Yeah, she's like, oh my god, what happened? And and what I did is I also got it to go write it in Pirate Speak. So it did that, and then it made another poem in Pirate Speak, and I sent her both. That's awesome. That's remarkable. What a great, what a great uh, idea. Oh man, there's there lots of good ideas uh, based on it. There are people like you would really like this uh, who have built landing pages using this. Uh, for companies. So there's an idea yeah. that they want to go try out to go build out a landing page and it's up and it's like all running, which I think is fantastic. There's another site that I tried out called tome.ai, T-O-M-E.ai. So you can go give it a prompt and it creates a presentation for you and it uses Dolly for like images and stuff. It can just mm -hmm. build out your entire presentation deck. Even just having oh. that as a starting point, I think is good. So if you want to go do something like, well, what's the intersection of blockchain and AI going to look like? And you want to like appear smart, it's going to build out a deck for you. Pretty neat. Wow. But yeah, I think we're diverging. Uh, I saw him uh -huh. on Twitter. That it's like, you know, the new, the new AI pitch decks, you know, is, is <laughs> GPT on the back end and then some custom front end work, right? Like, you know, yeah. that there's a ton of people out raising money on this hype cycle. Of course. That's just, that's just got the open AI or, you know, whatever, whatever open source technology they've got sitting in the background yeah. Um, yeah. with some customers. I think that's in. the future. Like for people to train such complex models, it's going to be really, really hard to it's get It's got to be the big guys, right? It's got to be the big guys. If you can go figure out your niche and you can go build it and you can have like your other models trained on some of this information, then great. But I think that's that's where we're heading. Nobody has their own data centers right now. So compute and storage and all of that got democratized. It's, it's, it's out there in the cloud. I think a lot of this AI capabilities are going to be democratized too. But like something like a travel agent idea or like build out this listing or whatever, right? There's, there are like a million things you can do. Yeah. I was just, just before this call, I was sitting and I was brainstorming the core values for one of my companies called the Lunar System, right? Like, I'm like, okay, this is where I want to start. This is what I want to do. And I had a rough idea. And I was mm -hmm. like, hey, ChatGPT, I nailed on the six things that I want to be the core values for my company. A, make them sound smart. B, write a one-liner for them. And C, give me five examples for each as to how an employee would demonstrate them, right? Mm -hmm. Even if three of them are good, it's pretty damn good, right? It gets me yeah, like- Yeah, and you can always edit it. There. I'll, I'll always edit it. I'll keep refining it. I'll do all of that stuff. And 
yeah, no, it's really good. It's my it's my buddy now. That's, I that's was amazing. telling my wife. Ex- was, it's, it, except more, for when I'm it goes different. down, then it's yes, no longer then, your then, friend. Yeah, then it's dead to me. <laughs> but but other than that, I th- I think it's awesome. Um, it's something one of those things that I would be more than happy to pay to use every month. What would you pay? Like, I think for a GPT. Man, it depends. It really depends, right? Like if it's 40, 50 bucks, absolute no brainer. Even if it's like a couple of hundred bucks a month for the amount of time that can save me, I would be keen on paying that. Like it just really depends on how much I used it. And given what I explored, it's fantastic. It is it is great. Yeah. It can do a lot of the, the VA related work that I had. Mm-hmm. If you can now just do two more things with it, free ideas for anyone who's listening. If it can manage my calendar, if it can manage my to-do lists, and it can recommend based on my goals and my to-dos and my top priorities as to how I can organize my day better as a suggestion, I would be sold. Like if it can help me like double my productivity, how, how much is like $100, $200 a month? Very little. Like wow. if I had to hire someone to go do that for me, that would cost me a lot. So these are some of the missing scenarios for which I would be like, man, I, I would totally pay for this. A That's lot. Cool. Well, that, well, those will probably be apps that sit on top of it that that you will get to pay for. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Point. But yeah, I would totally pay for it because, like, my other issue has been when you work with people, like, you have to make sure they get the full context and everything. Going back to the digital context, if you can actually get the context which you own, you don't just hand it over to OpenAI. But if that can be plugged into this, it could be really, really fascinating. That's really cool. Yeah, I'd heard I, that uh, the number is going to be fifty dollars a month. By the way, that was just what I heard through the grapevine. Yeah, so we'll I heard forty-two because haha, funny forty-two. Why not? But fifty-fifty seems very reasonable. I think it depends. It depends on how much usage you get with that, too, right? Yeah, and I'm sure that they'll figure out a way to tier it, and you know, figure out the type of content you're creating. And oh, you're using this as an agency. Oh, sorry, that's going to be five hundred dollars a month. You know. Yeah. So yeah, that's all coming. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think. Uh, yeah, I think GPT and, and AI is the next tech hype cycle for sure. But it's it's definitely you know an exciting, very promising technology, which is which is interesting because it's a debate that I'm hearing a lot in these podcasts. Is sort of like, well, is it real or is it just hype? And it's funny that there's a lot of people who are sort of like on the fence. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I agree with you entirely with how you sort of summarize this leading into the discussion, which is like, there's the day before November 30th, 2022. And then there's the time after. And that's that. Like, I, I think that's how significant the, uh, you know, sort of the shift's going to be as a result of this technology. It's I amazing. agree. And, and there are a lot of people who are like, oh, this is going to put people out of jobs and so on. Well, how many people still write code in assembly or even C or even in VisiVig editors? Like people have moved on to no code, right? Like the, the things... Yeah, which evolve. So this is just another evolution. Yes, it might have an impact, but I think it's going to supercharge people so we can focus on the higher value add things, right? What it doesn't fully replace yet is our ability to think and come up with like creative solutions to problems. So yeah, this is this is definitely going to help us with that. I was reading this post yesterday somewhere. It was like this funny post, like I think the US um, Department of Defense or someone had commissioned a robot, like this AI thing, to detect people on like walking around or whatever, like approaching it or attacking it to find people. So they got it, they trained it with like army people for like eight days or whatever. And then they asked them to try to fool it. And a lot of them did. And here's how they did it. Because the AI was trained to detect people walking or running, 
a couple of them just like somersaulted their way for 300 meters to reach it. A couple of them just hid in a cardboard box and they were just walking slowly towards it, like giggling like crazy because it thought it was a cardboard box. It did not think it was people approaching it, right? And this guy dressed up like a fir tree was slowly, slowly walking towards it because the AI was again trained to detect human-like forms walking or running towards it and not these things. So AI can always be fooled. You just have to be creative enough, right? And there's not enough training information out there to train for all scenarios just yet. But this is pretty damn smart. Like for all of the writing, content generation, ideation, whatever, like it it does a lot of stuff. That's not foolproof. it's, It's funny you mentioned that I was listening to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast, Revisionist History, and he did um, he did something on which I love. I really like him, by the way. He's I've I've read all of his books. I think he's really interesting. But he did a uh, a podcast on Google's Waymo self driving vehicle where he went down and spent some time in it. And s- sort of the epiphany of the podcast was that you know you could you can you could effectively sort of once once there's uh, ubiquitous self driving vehicles right? You're going to be able to fool them very quickly. And his premise was basically that pedestrians are going to take back the world, right? Like you'll literally be able to like snarl up a freeway full of self-driving cars with a, with a beach ball because they'll all stop, right? Right. And so it was really kind of a fascinating take on when you take that out to, to, to where AI is, is running the roads and stuff, pedestrians really do have control. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was kind of a really interesting thought exercise that he, that he went through that was similar to what you brought up. So. Yeah, hey, just wait till I, uh, we have artificial general intelligence, and then it'll figure out it's a beach ball and just like knock it out of well, the way. Well, that yeah, and and that'll come too. Yeah, that's right, <laughs> or styrofoam or whatever else. Yeah, yeah. So to so to take it back to a, a little bit more crypto, I want to share with you a couple <laughs> other things before we got to wrap here. So I mentioned earlier that Mastercard was was going to use blockchain to decrease transaction related expenses, which I think is really cool. I also read that uh, the, the the CTO of Walmart came out and said that he thinks that uh, crypto and blockchain will will change all of retail, so retail payments. But then he also spent quite a bit of time talking about how people are going to browse for products in the metaverse. So remember the metaverse? I mean, that thing died. Yeah. That thing died six months ago, right? But mm-hmm. here's the CTO of Walmart talking about how the largest retailer in the world is going to use blockchain and uh, and this thing called the metaverse. So you know, this was like two two weeks ago. So people are still, you know, still building and and still uh, very bullish on you know on those technologies, which I think is really cool. Yeah, I think it's still going to happen, right? It's the definition of metaverse that we have to think about. Like, if you think of it as like this thing that you're connected and plugged into twenty four bar seven, like maybe that's not going to happen you know, anytime soon. But yeah. if these are like digital experiences, like I think it would always happen because we have new form factors, right? Who would have thought That's that right. you can have like Amazon like pages on the internet where you can just go shop and people are like you can buy things online without really looking at them without walking through the right. shelves like how is that even possible? I mean, I would argue uh, that's a metaverse, right? Like you you've got this digital universe of products called Amazon where you can go browse, right? Like yeah, I, I agree with you. The definition will evolve into something, and the, and mm-hmm. you only know that in the rear view, right? But uh, yeah, and I, I, it's interesting too. I mean, Apple's going to release their AR glasses here supposedly yeah. this year. So I think that will be yet another platform for, you know, in air quotes, metaverse type experiences. Mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, Walmart probably knows more about that than you or I, right? So maybe there's something going on there. So yeah, I I, I thought it was really interesting. Again, 
people are people are still building, people are still using the technology, right? If if the CTO of Walmart had come out and said, uh, "Hey, this we were doing this big metaverse project, but we canned it," yeah, that would not be yeah. that would not be great, right? Or we yeah. were working on the uh, uh, using blockchain for retail transactions, but we canned it. But that's not what's happening. They seem to be doubling right. down. I, yeah. I'll share one more cool project with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, kind of in the retail space. So I read about Lowe's, so the home improvement uh, store. Mm-hmm. They've got this thing that they're calling Project Unlock, which is going to use the blockchain to help uh, thwart uh, tool theft. So what they're going to do is they're going to have uh, they're going to have a, a little RFID chip in each tool, and when it gets checked out and purchased, it's going to register that on the blockchain. And then uh, you know if a tool leaves the store without without going through that process, then it will be considered stolen. And I I was you know I, I thought that was I don't know how, like, I don't know enough about healing it chips? to really make it. Well, I was thinking healing chips. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then, and, then I, and then I started going down this rabbit hole of like, oh my gosh, you know, with a healing chip, they'll know that this is in my house or they'll know that I've taken it to this job site or like, I don't know. It just, my brain started going places that probably shouldn't go. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, helium chips. Exactly. That was exactly what yeah. I thought, Akash. Yeah. Well, you don't have to be overly concerned. Your phone is probably transmitting more information about you and your house and everything to people. Oh, like 100%. the tools probably used like less frequently than your phone. One hundred percent. So yeah, yeah. So this you know two or two or three big companies who are who are you know using using blockchain in different ways that I thought were were interesting and I think we're just going to continue to see more of that. So. That's, a, that's yeah. what I had on my list to share today, Akash. Oh, absolutely. And and I'm still here. I'm still working at Immutable, still working on the future of uh, Web3 gaming. More and more games are going to start coming out. The ones with real utility and real fun games, I think are going to start dominating the market. The walled gardens need to start coming down a little bit. Like the 30% transaction fees on like all store purchases, I think is a lot. Uh, secondary market. It's sales. under a lot of a pressure. Under absolutely, a lot of pressure right? right? Yeah, so it's it's getting harder and harder to justify some of these walled gardens. Yeah, I think there'll be a day like just like I was, I was talking to, to to my kids the other day, and they're like, "Oh, what? You had like CDs, and you had to put in the CD, and you had like this thing cartridges you had to go put in your game." Like the distribution mechanisms have changed, and it's become very digital right now, right? It's going to be one of those things in the future where people go like, "What? You didn't really own the assets that you bought in the game? Like they were just gone? That's, like that's crazy. you just paid money? Why would you that's waste insane. all that time?" Yeah, and you talked to us about being fiscally responsible, but you guys were like just giving money away for skins, like $25 skins, and you never owned it? Like, what the hell? Yeah, so I think I think that's going to happen at some point. Still very positive that that's, that's going to happen. Yeah, and that'll, that'll be another change. Like once we find that runaway AAA hit, which is like, which makes digital ownership real, I think it's going to be awesome. I agree. Well, I'm excited. Keep, keep us posted when you have stuff to share that you can talk about publicly. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well, good chatting with you. Yeah. Let's wrap this one. Thank you so much, Ben. See you next time. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.